Hello, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. My name is Brian Sheffy. Oh, Donia? That was me. I'm sorry. And I'm Donia Williams. How you guys doing today? <laughs> Hope you guys are having a great Sunday. Um, thank you once again for uh, sharing this hour with us. So um, I'm going to cut straight to the chase. It is my great pleasure to introduce Antoinette Boussard. Um, who we actually discovered, I believe, through the, the coming, coming to the Table, which yeah. is a series of shows that we're doing this month. Um, we are going to be spending some time talking about some books that um, Antoinette's written. So obviously she's a genealogist, she's a family historian, she's a writer and an author, and she is also an etiquette coach, um, teaching both children and business people um, etiquette. And just before the show went live, I actually asked, uh, I actually asked Antoinette if she was planning, a, if she had or was planning to write a book about etiquette for genealogists. And uh, that was an interesting discussion, and we may actually come back to that. <laughs> 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 so Antoinette has a just fascinating part of her ancestry that she's, she's written about in a book called... Um, Slavery's Descendants, which is available on Amazon, and we'll be posting all the usual links at the end of the show, where she writes about her Craig family, um, specifically uh, one of her, her great-grandmother, Violet, and some of Violet's children, um, including a gentleman called Barry Craig. And before we get into Barry, I just wanted to say hello at Antoinette. Thank you so much for, for joining the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Did I leave anything out of your introduction? No. <laughs> okay. So as you said, it's um, there is an organization or a group that's called Coming to the Table, and they've been doing some wonderful work for, I believe they've been going for about two years, two or three years. Is that correct, Anya? Uh, yes. Yeah, they've been going for about two or three years. And the whole premise is, you know, we understand that, you know, America's got a race issue and it's not really kind of owning up to slavery, and it's a wonderful project and way for both the descendants of the enslaved and the descendants of their enslavers can come together around a table or you know, informal setting and just to be able to talk. And if their experience is anything like what Antoinette's going to be talking about today and what Donnie and I talk about all the time, for us, those two things are the same. The enslaving family is also our biological family, so the descendants of the enslaved are also our cousins, which just puts an interesting dynamic into it. And Antoinette, you had an amazing journey where you actually met some of your, so you identified your Craig family's um, enslavers. Um, that's right, it is the Craig family. And uh -huh. they were also your cousins, and you went out to meet them. And I just wanted to open up the whole conversation because you were you very eloquently wrote about what you were thinking and feeling on the plane journey, going out to meet these cousins for the first time. And you wrote something that really resonated with me. You were kind of asking yourself whether you were on, I think the actual word that you, you used, you actually commented about how someone sounded really intelligent and you wondered what they would make of you. What was that kind of whole process like? Um, what thoughts were kind of going through your head as you were getting ready to meet these people for the first time? So, so can I take you back just one moment? Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Coming to the table group um, has been, you know, developed over many, many years. The book 
that we're talking about, I think it's about two years old, but coming to the table. Oh, okay. Yeah. Coming to the table has, I don't have the actual date, but it's been around for a while. And okay. so, um, and it's true. We're descendants of the enslaved or the enslaver or both. And so, you know, I, I always heard this story as a, as a kid, maybe I was just around 10 years old. And my great uncle, George Craig, I mean, excuse me, my uncle, George Craig, my mother's brother, would always tell us this oral history. And um, it was that um, our great grandmother, Violet, was uh, enslaved by a man named William P. Wallingford from Platte County, Missouri. And so that was an oral history that just like, honestly, as a child, it kind of intrigued me. It's like, you know, how could someone own someone? And, you know, in my age, we really didn't learn about Black history in um, school. You know, there, there were no Black history or Black history was omitted from the history classes growing up. And so as I got older, as I matured, I really understood what owning someone meant. And I said, one day I'm going to find that person who enslaved my Violet. And so um, I think I started around 2003, 2004. And at that time, I really didn't, um, I wasn't a researcher. So I hired a genealogist to help me, you know, find Wallingford. He's the m man that owned my great grandmother. He was my grandfather's father. And so um, I worked with the genealogist um, and he and I, we worked together. And finally, um, we found Wallingford's family. And so we posted on a genealogy board because we, you know, we didn't know these people. They had no idea that we existed. And it, it was just important for me. I mean, I don't have to be recognized by the Wallingfords. You know, it, 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 that, that wasn't the point. You know, that had to be recognized as William Payne Wallingford's great granddaughter. Um, not particularly because he's the man that raped my great grandmother over 15 years and fathered seven or eight of her children. Mm. But I did want the Wallingford family to know that we existed. I want them to know, you know, that, you know, we, we are here. I, I want to give a voice to my um, great grandmother, Violet. And so finally, uh, one day after we found the Wallingfords and so forth, um, actually we posted something on a genealogy board to see if they, on the Walling, you know, there's all these genealogy boards, you know, on ancestry and online and so forth people who are interested in a certain family. And we posted on there, do you know this particular Wallingford family? And someone answered it. And he said he had married into William Payne Wallingford's family line, but he said he was sure they didn't know anything about their history of slavery. And so finally um, he introduced us and finally we connected and so one day after maybe eight or 10 years, eight or nine years of my research, I got on a plane in San Francisco 
and um, I'm heading to uh, meet them. They, they called me and they said, look, if you're coming back to Kansas or Missouri, which are right next to each other, where my family history kind of ended, um, one, of the, one of the sisters, there's two sisters, uh, they were great granddaughters of the same man who's my great grandfather, Wallingford, asked me, come and stay with us. You can stay with me while you do your research. And I'm on the plane and the, and the weather's bad and we got delayed. So I'm sitting in the San Francisco airport and I'm calling them. I'm saying, you know, it's going to be a while before that we get out of here. And in that moment, I'm thinking they sounded so intelligent, so nice, not taking anything away from, you know, who my family is or, you know, I just got a bit insecure about, did I do the right thing? And, and, uh, you know, you know how those crazy th thoughts come in your head, you know, um, maybe not, uh, am I good enough, but, you know, can I hold my own with them? And that's what was happening. So, but, you but know, just to, just to piggyback off of something that you just said, you just said, they sound so intelligent. You know, yeah. that's what people say about, that's how some white people say about black people yes when they're yeah. when they're speaking to them they'll be like oh but you you sound so intelligent yeah and you, you look at them and you're like am i not supposed to sound intelligent <laughs> so oh <laughs> uh, but so you made when i read that and the thing i was like wow it, it, now you, you kind of flipped the the whole yeah. script but yeah. i just wanted to point that out i'm like that was really neat that you said that you know i mean i di i really didn't want to admit that but that's what was going on you know mm -hmm. well, i was becoming insecure about had i made the right move and also is this what my great-grandmother would want you know mm -hmm. or is this what my grandfather would want um and so um yeah i was just working those thoughts through my head but finally, when I got there, it was like they met me at the door and they said, hello, Antoinette, please come in. And then as I'm going in, the other, there's two sisters. So the other sister introduced herself. And it just, you know, it's like we were really good together. And they apologized. They said, you know, we have no idea that our great-grandfather had owned slaves and, you know, can you imagine what it was like for Violet having him come for you all the time? You know, um, they, they felt, I don't know if you'd say guilt or shame, but I, you know, it wasn't their fault. Um, they were naive to what had happened, you know, and you talk to people, some people can't go past their grandparents. Right. Or, they, you know, uh, or some people are in denial about happen, what happened past their grandparents. And so um, that's, you know, what I found was I found two loving sisters who were eager to see all my research. You know, I'm, re I'm contacting them hoping that they have more information than me because the history goes back into Kentucky. And I'm the one who had a lot more information than them. And I just shared everything I had 
with them. And we talked, you know, we talked about how we wish we could have gone to Kentucky together, but you see they're like, one's 90, one's 89, something like that. And so we talked about how we, because I told them, I said, your history didn't end in Missouri. It goes back into Kentucky and Virginia. And they, they didn't know that. And so, um, and to this day, they, you know, read all my research. They read my stories that I write. And, and I stay with them when I go back to um, Kansas. Well, you know, Kansas and Missouri are right next to each other. So right. you're enslaved in Missouri. If you can get across the Missouri River into free state of Kansas, then you're free. I'm not saying that Kansas was a perfect place. There was a whole lot of stuff going on there, but at least they didn't have the slave master, you know, at their back. And so that's what, you know, I waited, I've waited all this time to find the Wallingfords. And um, I've even, you know, done my DNA on uh, Ancestry.com. And who shows up? Hundreds of them, Wallingfords, on my DNA match. But I, I didn't do the DNA um, first. I did the paper research first. And, and, and that's... I know you'll agree that's the important part is mm -hmm. to get the paper research done. Then you can back it up with your DNA, you know, because all these people come up and you're related to all these people via the DNA matches and you can't even quite figure all of it out. I mean, who, who are they? And so m most of the people that I'm related to on my ancestor DNA are white people. They're either on my father's side on, that's the Broussard side, or they're on my mother's side, which is the Craig side. And the majority of Black people that I'm related to with my DNA are my fifth to eighth cousins. So they go quite a ways back. And so when Ancestry said they're going to eliminate, maybe they already have eliminated, if you're related to someone who has, what is it, eight? Um, Six to eight CMs. Yeah. They're going to um, eliminate, did they already eliminate them? Yes, yeah. they did. Yeah. Because that's where I found, um, I, I, I just caught it as much as I could and put a note or put them in a group so I wouldn't lose them because that's my Black ancestor. Wow. You know? Wow. <laughs> yeah, and, the re and the reason why we took the Craig name, you see, um, William Payne Wallingford fathered seven or eight of my great-grandmother Violet's children. But when they were going to be free, they weren't freed until the passing of the 13th Amendment. You know, my grandfather was born in 1863, December. At the end, almost a year after the Emancipation Proclamation had been, um, you know, written, put into law. But he was born enslaved um with you know his uh, older brothers and sisters and his mother got pregnant again before they were even freed sometime late 1864 early 1865 and so when she left he said uh, wallingford he's he's their father now and you know he had a white family he had about 10 children with he was married uh, three different times because his 
first and second wife died. So he had a white family, but he told my great grandmother, Violet, that um, I don't want you to take the Wallingford name. And she said, I don't see, this is where oral histories are great when you validate them. She said, I don't want the Wallingford name. My name, I consider that to be the Craig name. That I consider that to be my maiden name. And we're not taking your surname. And so that's why we have the Craig name, even though we're really, you know, Wallingfords. But Craig, as she, you know, she got across the river with her family and she rendezvoused with her other brothers and sisters who were all enslaved with different slave enslavers in other parts of Missouri. When she finally, when they all got together again, somewhere, you know, right after the Civil War, they had all taken the name Craig. And that's told me that uh, Craig was um, maybe possibly their first um, owner. Maybe Craig had done something positive or something for them that they felt that was their name. You know, I mean, I really don't know why they picked the Craig name, but I mean, it's a slave name no matter what. So. Where you can't discount there might have been a biological connection because especially where my father's people come from in Virginia. Yes. All along that western periphery from what's now West Virginia all the way down to the, the uppermost part of North Carolina, including Kentucky, what's now Kentucky and Tennessee. There yes. was a big enslaving Craig family. Yes. And they were not shy about fathering children on their enslaved women. Um, so you may very well have a have a connection to them. Well, well, you know, um, last you know, I've been working on a book for a long time about writing this story, and so I said I can't finish this book until I know what happened to them in Kentucky. And for the last couple of weeks, I've traced them back to some Craigs in Kentucky who came out of Virginia. You you know, and so. But in my head, it's like, I had adapted to, I was related to Wallingford, but now, you know, you're trying to adapt to, you know, what's next? You know, three of my great-grandfathers were white men. And so you're just saying, oh, gosh, what's next? Okay. You know, and you look at some of your relatives, right? And you see how like they are and you really know stuff happened. I'm just getting to that point now that. Um, well, so have you, stuff, go ahead. Stuff happened over multiple generations. It's, there you go. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> so I you, that was fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so have you met more of the Wallingfords or you, you don't want to meet them? No, I have met, um, um, I met, uh, because I'm going back to, to Missouri and Kansas many times. I met uh, one other Wallingford. Um, and actually, I met him because he lived across the street from some black Wallingfords who I find that um, who, who grew up in a farming community. They owned farms in Atchison, Kansas. And um, anyway, they're Wallingfords. And they come from the same Wallingford family I come from we're just trying to you know figure out the DNA match so 
and the Black Wallingfords have embraced me and invited me to their reunions and so forth. So um, I've, I've met quite a few people. So have the Wallingfords that live across the street from each other, have they recognized that they're family and they're thinking they probably are. <laughs> no, they haven't. Uh, I don't think they've done any DNA, but I think they think they probably are. And they're in Platte County, Missouri. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you know, it's just a river that separated everybody. You know, here right. in Missouri, you have the White Wallingfords, uh, many many generations, um, and then across the river into Kansas, you have the um, Black Wallingfords, you know, uh, we're all connected. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that um, our audience is interested in this. And, and I think I get a sense of this in the various Facebook genealogy groups that Donnie and I are members of or yes. administrators of. What was it like that very first time when you met your white family? And also knowing that the white family was also your family's enslaver. I mean, what was that? What was the kind of emotion and what did it feel like? Well, I just, um, we, we, you know, came together quite well. I mean, um, they were very apologetic. And so I was, I was a little uneasy, um, but they accepted all of my research and, um, so it's it's been a really good relationship. I mean, actually, we've all said that we wish that we lived closer to one another. You know, I'm in California, they're in uh, Kansas and uh, parts of Missouri. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's 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 a really good connection. It's helped me um, see that you know how long are you going to hold on to your anger? I mean, where where is where is that going to get you? Mm -hmm. you know, I can't even write objectively or talk objectively if if I'm if I continue to be angry and and our ancestors paid a lot for us to be here so it's important for me to uh heal you know to forgive I don't have to forget I I will never forget but um he's not here anyway anyway um uh William P. Wallingford and and those who came before him because they all owned slaves that Wallingford family in Missouri and um, Kentucky and Virginia they were all slave owners you know uh, William Payne Wallingford's brother was a sheriff in Platte County Missouri and he owned he owned slaves that's amazing that's amazing that you said uh, as far as the healing because a lot of people i mean brian this show is so very right on point with what we were going through right now i didn't even realize that i mean it really is right on point with the things that we're going through because like we've had people that have actually come out and said you can't heal from this we've we've gone too far too much has happened um all kinds of, of things and uh as of right now, with, with that being said, you just made that statement, it what good is it to be angry? And yeah. and, and and this yeah, you know, and then just to say that it, it's a healing, it, it it helps with the healing and it does. So here you are, someone who has actually met your 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 white family, 
your white ancestors and their family, regardless of what happened or how they became yeah. your family, they're still your family. And both sides are both sides are are, are there to accept it yes. and understand yes. it. But it means something to hear, even though they didn't do it, it means something to hear, I'm sorry. Yeah. It 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 just really means something. It, I don't know if it, for us it's a slightly different dynamic because we are biologically related to the people who enslaved us because that's not always going to be the case but for us we are and I, I don't know if that adds an extra dimension I was just going to say my first experience was meeting my white Sheffy cousins and of course we were nervous in the beginning because and I think Antoinette did a brilliant job summarizing it they were wondering what we were going to think of them. We were wondering what they were going to think of us. We were one each each side was wondering what the racial preconceptions was going to be. So I guess they may have been worried that um, we were going to be angry black people, and I don't know what we kind of thought about them. But the funny thing is, as soon as I saw um, Bo, who's the Sheffy, and funnily enough, I'm also related to his wife <laughs> through a South Carolina family. Um, we we actually favor each other. The yes, actually look alike. <laughs> so it's like oh okay, and then when you start really drilling into it and finding about family quirks, and it's like oh we thought it was just us, but now we you know now we know oh that's a Sheffy thing, that's a Rome thing, that's right. a Henry family thing, that's a Preston Brooks in South Carolina family thing. <laughs> you start to recognize parts of yourself. And yes. your family's characteristics and these people that until maybe a handful of years ago I had never heard of before had never seen and never met and for me that that part of that was very cathartic yes it is now the the side that I want to meet I haven't met and I don't oh. think and they they can't they don't I don't think they want to meet me every well, time I try it's my Brooks family and every time I try, they shut it down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they shut it down. <laughs> they, they shut it down. So they're just not, they're, they're not into the um, having Black family members. They, they're not into that. But that actually gives me, make, takes me to a question that I wanted to ask you. Um, you said that your, that they said they didn't know. Why didn't they know? Well, I mean, you, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, they said that they were um, raised to think of William Payne Wallingford. I keep going back trying to explain it, in case someone's just coming in. Um, that William P. Wallingford was a man to admire, you know, because he's the one that he and his brother are the ones that came to Missouri in 18. 37, 1837 and settled on the Platte Purchase. Purchase. So they think of him, they were to admire him like he was a hero. And and they said they didn't know anything else about it. It does surprise me that people can't go past their grandparents, but you, you know, see, we're researchers. You know, there's a lot of people who can't tell you who anything about their great grandparents. And so um you you know uh, when when I um, what one of the uh, one of the cousins 
white cousins. Her name is Dixie. And when she read about my grandfather's sister, who is Dr. Nettie Craig Asbury, she's one of my, she's the one that Violet was pregnant with when they left that farm. And so um, Nettie went to Tacoma, Washington and became a civil rights leader and so forth. And so it's interesting when we're talking about mass DNA, how Dixie says, you know, well, you know, I think I'm a lot like Nettie. I think we're a lot alike. And then she would start comparing it because Dixie was a career woman too. And so it was just nice to hear what they thought was similar, you know, in their personalities. Right. I mean, because I know my personalities. I like Brian, like Brian said, we we've discussed it um several times. And I I, I see a lot from reading because one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that as researchers as genealogical researchers the research that we do even though um we're not historians yes we're not historians however we can give a history of our family's background because of the research that we've done exactly and and with that history that we're doing because we're reading all of the different things that they've gone through, that they, that they've accomplished or that they've had to endure, no matter what it is, you start to see yourself in those different things that, that all of those different things that I just named. So when I was reading stuff about Preston Brooks, and I saw myself saying the same things later on, hundreds of years later, I'm like, oh my God, this man really is related. Like, yeah. I got his attitude. <laughs> I literally have his attitude. Like, I carry his whole attitude. <laughs> and um, it's just amazing to, to find that. But I had actual, actually had some cousins who, once I told them that, they were like, no, I'm nothing like him. I'm like, you're exactly like him just from the action that you just said just now. Exactly. Just because you're angry at what I just told you, right. you are just like him. <laughs> That's it. But you have to get into that actual research to understand exactly what it means. So, no, we're not historians, but the history that we can give on our family is something that historians will never be able to touch. Oh, absolutely. You, you, you know, uh, there, uh, I found a 19, one of my cousins gave me a 1934 letter that proved that um, my grandfather's sister, Nettie, the one I'm talking about who was in Washington, had a Bible, had a family Bible. It was given to her by her grandmother. And so, but when we went to look for the Bible, because Nettie had died when I started researching, we'd never found that Bible. We, we don't know what happened to it. And I thought, oh, now I have to build a tree from hardly anything. I don't know hardly anything. But when you build that tree, you begin to live through their footsteps. Mm-hmm. And you begin to live through their lives. And then you feel like you were a part of those mm-hmm. lives. And it's a lot of work, but, you know, of course, I would love to find that Bible. I, I have no idea what happened to it, but I've learned so much by learning about their lives. Which brings yeah. me to your grandfather, Barry. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. 
who in his way, Barry left you with a treasure trove of, of Um Because again, I, you know, thinking about what happened to formerly enslaved people when they were freed, you know, we talk about people who were farmers and teachers and doctors and business people and, and all the rest of it. But Barry was, I'm not gonna say unusual, he's distinctive in that he was a writer. Yes. And he left you a lot of his own kind of written, written materials. And the first thing I want to ask you about is because <clears throat> he wrote a play. Yes. If I remember correctly, it's either autobiographical or semi-autobiographical, but about his family. And I would love to know, has that play ever been performed? No, uh, uh, th there is someone, uh, a group from Missouri that asked, could they you know, use the play? And I said, you know, not right now. I just want to complete the book and then I will, you know, you know, they can use his material. You know, he was, he was born 1863. Um, I think he had like maybe a sixth grade education. Maybe that was common back then. I, I, um, you know, but you, you know, but my mother, his daughter would always talk about, he was a self-taught individual you know, how intelligent he was. And, and, you know, he worked on the trains. That was a job that many black people, men had that gave them a, a, at least a decent, you know, uh, something that they could survive on. Mm -hmm. And he had a good job on the trains, I think for some time, but then in 1910, he had a train accident and he lost a leg. And he was in Denver, Colorado then. So he lost a leg. So he ended up coming out to uh, Oakland, California, and he brought his family with him. And there was a new city hall that was built. It had been destroyed by the 1906 earthquake. He got a job at the city hall as an elevator operator. And I just think, wow, you know, that would have driven me crazy to be an elevator operator for, for 20 more years, at least, and and uh, know that honestly, you're as intelligent as all those people who get in your elevator, go upstairs somewhere to work, you know. But he was a black man, being an elevator operator in 1910. Those are one of the jobs that they could get. But he wrote these beautiful typewritten, some were typewritten manuscripts, and I got his journals and his papers. And so you know. That put me on the path of, I have to really see if this is all true. Well, I think he put his literary foot on it a little bit, but, <laughs> but it's basically at the core is true. And so I'm trying to incorporate what he said along with my research into a, a story because he, you know, he deserves his due. I could see through his papers that he tried to submit a number of his stories. They weren't all about slavery, but, you know, uh, black man submitting them in the 1930s, they were all rejected. So, but um, it's quite a pleasure, you know, to have what he wrote. That's why people can't throw away. Someone dies, don't throw their things away. Look through everything, oh, yeah. you know, preserve it. You know, just a friend of mine said her mother-in-law died and she they went there and the sister was throwing everything away. She grabbed it. She came away with seven binders of information, mm. you know. So um, it's, I was grateful that they had preserved their pap those papers. Um, 
And through its well, I want to go to the. Uh, go ahead, Brian. Oh, just a really quick question. So through through his his writing, because we're talking about twenty years worth of, of written material that, that he wrote. Do you actually did you actually get a sense of his characteristics, his quirks, his personality? Did that really kind of come through his writing? Well, um, some of his anger came through. You know, you could see that he really didn't particularly like. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to disrespect anyone who's listening. He really didn't like white people. But his father was a white man who had abandoned them. You know, they he didn't give them any money when they left. He didn't help these seven children and their mother at all. And he lived, they, you know, like I say, a river was just between them. And they went back for help and he rejected them. So he, he was, I think, angry at white people. Um, but he was someone born in 1863. So um, I'm so say your question again, though, because I kind of went off. <laughs> <laughs> about whether you could really get a sense of his personality and his kind oh. of his kind of character through through what he wrote. Yeah, he had a, a um, vast knowledge of history. Actually, I I uh, my mother had also preserved some of his books, and um, it, you know, he's. I remember him because I w was about nine or ten years old when he died he was he was gentle but he was fairly um i would say assertive about what he believed about the history of the united states and and, and one of his stories is about um uh, about a family in um i think it's in england and, and i haven't been able to validate this yet but how they've lived wealthy in england I mean, it could easily be the Craigs, I, I'm not going to, or the Wallingfords, but our family lived well, very wealthy in England, but they have plantations in the United States or in the Caribbean. And so he went into that story a bit and I thought, wow, you know, he was aggressive in his learning. My mother would say, she said, what would always come up for her was um, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And he wished that he had had, you know, could have had a further um, education. But she said he was always writing and reading um, when they were children. Well, I think I adopted, um, and I'm trying to find it right now, my favorite quote from him, which was, what cannot be cured must be endured. Oh, yeah. I really, really like that quote from him. Um, and and the fact that you made the comment of him, you know, having an, an issue with white people, giving the fact, given the fact that he was born during the, you know, the time limit, the time that he was born, and then who his father was, it's, it's actually understandable yes. why he was so angry. I yes. mean, it, but again, it, it, it was a normal response and people have to realize that that was a normal response right. for a child to a father who abandoned them. That's how you need to look at it. Not look at it as a black man, not liking a white person. It was a yeah. child to a father. Exactly. And daddy abandoned me. He left me. That's it. It, and then there's no more, no less. But because it, it, it goes into 
other ways and other thinking, you know, when, when you're thinking about a black person, it goes, it goes way left. It goes in a, in a way that it really shouldn't go. They don't think child and, and parent when you're thinking about black people in some instances, it just, it goes way left. But this particular situation, you're, you know, this was a child and a father yes. and who just happened to be a white man who didn't do what he was supposed to do for his children. And then he turned them away. And then given the time period, huh? And probably seeing his mother working very hard to- Exactly. I mean, everything. Exactly. It's the exact same thing that you see every single day that has been going on for for so many different kids that have single mothers that are struggling, that's going through all this different stuff. And these kids get angry. They see their parents and they get angry. You know, so I- I, um, I wanted to go on on the on the site real quick and just yeah. really kind of point out you have a lot of followers. Oh. <laughs> While you're doing that, I've got a question from Ruth Fallenbaum. Oh she's, yeah, she's asking what we're talking about about ancestry DNA. So to cut a very long story short, ancestry DNA has raised its matching criteria. It used to be you could get people with six CMs. You would share with six CMs with that would pop up on your match list, those are gone. So, right. so I think it's anything under eight CMs, you, unless you save them before yes. they got deleted, they're gone. Yes. So that's right. what we're talking about. And then you have Amber who said that she was, you was her teacher. She <laughs> wanted to say hi to you. And she's really glad to read your writings. Um, but one person, um, Amber, again, she said she met her white family and now attend the yearly reunions when possible. Because of them, she was able to trace, and this is a great one. She said she was able to trace her history back to Britain. All their research proved that she could join the Daughters of the American Revolution. Yeah, yeah, and she's the first African-American in her local chapter. Now, I work for the DAR, and um, that's awesome. That's that's an awesome thing. Yeah, I I yeah, and I really I suggest that more African American women get involved in those types of things because this is what comes coming to the table is about. Exactly. You, you need a seat. You need a seat at the table. We need to represent totally. Same for the sons of the American Revolution. We need to start rep- representing and all of these different you know organizations that were like that. If they're going to let you do this, then you need to do this. If you're going to be a part of it, you need need to be a part of these things. So the fact that her family allowed her to come in and, you know, accept and do the things that they're doing, that's awesome. And be able, yeah, that that was beautiful. Um, Yes, absolutely beautiful. It was. It was. Bill from Philly Logan asked a really good question. This could be a whole show on on its own, though. How does, one start, how does one start the linking process between the white and black side of the family? In my instance, yep. it's either through my it was either through my family tree on on any of the yeah. you know, site platforms. People reached out. Oh, I see that we share a common. It's usually very coy. I see we share a common ancestor. How do you know? who's this Jane and how does she relate to, you know, an enslaving ancestor? And I say, well, she was enslaved. Right. He had a bunch of kids with her. 
So that's that's kind of that. Or on Ancestry. Not Ancestry, Facebook. Yes. That's how I met a lot of my Shetty cousins. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 That's I, well, I, I don't, I haven't, I mean, we're going to do another Join by Slavery series like this um, at the end of the month with our our own personal cousin. Wow. And um, this will be actually, I think this actually will be my first time meeting my white family members. Wow. Because, but it won't be Brooks's. Right. It will be my settles line. Because um, I, I, every, the thing is, and what people need to understand as they do their research, they're going to end up a white progenitor somewhere down the line. It's it's gonna always gonna always happen. It's just it's gonna happen somewhere down the line. Someone's gonna it's gonna you gonna well, have at least one white granddaddy. Well, I joke about it with you all the time, Bonnie. I mean, I have hundreds of thousands of people in my tree. I have tens of thousands of different family lines. Half of probably about forty of which are African American. Every single one of my black ancestral lines goes back to either a white man or a yeah. white woman having yeah. children with someone who's either a mulatto or black every yeah. single one of them. for me i'm still trying to find that one totally black line and i joke yeah. about you know i say to donia that's my unicorn i'm still searching for my unicorn that is just 100 percent black right 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 yeah <laughs> right. it's hard so hard to find because so many of our, our records are just erased or you know, right. invisible. Right. Yeah. But so you, Lisa McGifford asked you, um, um, she wondered if you have recommendations about where to put those family records so they can be preserved and found by later generations. Like how are you pre preserving your particular records and things of that nature? Well, right now I have a, I have a family tree developed on ancestry.com because I can, pull from their records and I can save them, you know, to my profiles. But I'm going, I, I was on outside a, uh, I was using another software program, but now I'm in search of a, I'm going to take my stuff off of, I'm going to keep it on Ancestry, but I'm going to put it on another software program. So I'm trying to find maybe a couple of recommendations. Uh, one might be legacy. The other one is at family tree. Um, trying to think. Um, What's the one that I do? I, uh, you know, I haven't been on it. <laughs> you know, I just had an idea, Donia. Antoinette. Yeah. And Antoinette, and we'll be more than happy to make this introduction for you. There's an organization that, who's going to be on the show in a couple of weeks called the Midwest African American oh. Archive. Yes. And that's the part of the world where your ancestors come from. So if you, I'm thinking even if it's providing copies of the documents, especially Barry's writing, for them to preserve in their in their um, their archives. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Pamela Williams would be perfect to yeah, we're gonna have to introduce you the two of you. Yeah. Well you, you know it's like you think you're thinking, um what's going to happen to your research when you pass on you know is there someone else who's as interested as you or who will keep it or will it get this you know thrown away or will it end up in a garage in some boxes for years and years 
until so you know to preserve it on a software program um i i just can't think of the other name of that software program it's roots right? magic that's it that's it yeah that's the one that i'm on <laughs> that's the one you're on right you you know and it's like when you start out if you haven't started out you know what really helped me was just to be organized um you know because you're getting it's like a big puzzle right you got this huge puzzle as big as the painting behind you um you can see it in 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 in, in uh, um in your screen it's a huge puzzle and it's little pieces that you put in there and so you want to uh preserve it i i'm a paper person so i tend to well, I do preserve things in folders on my computer, um, on my hard, um, on my flash drives and so forth. But it's just to organize everything. It saves you a lot of time. Everybody, I get a cemetery record on a George Craig, it goes into George Craig's file. You know, everybody has a file because after a while, it's like, you, it's just crazy. Too many papers that have no, you know, place. So just to really be organized and to research those people who are still alive in your family. You know, like someone told me they, they didn't uh, interview their mother and then she passed away and she had a lot of information. So when right. you start out, get, I think that's the most, one of them, that is the most important thing. Talk to everyone and get as much information as you can. And after a while, you know, they're thinking about it and they'll come up with more information, but you preserve some of that history that's gonna, you know, unfortunately pass on when they pass on. Yeah, and then the thing about oral history is that as great as it is, they're only gonna tell you what they want you to know. Yes, yes. that's <laughs> and- true. Yeah, I mean, they're only going to tell you what they want you to know. You have to remember that. And 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 so there is the possibility that you're going to find something that's either more than that could be. Okay, I'm just going to say it, and I'm sorry. It could be a lie. Yeah, it's, just, it's passed on through all these people. And it's yeah. sometimes it's like, what? Well, Aunt Susie told me this, but no. But you have to validate it, right? I mean, you have to figure out what's true right. in it, you know? Um, if my right. uncle hadn't told me that story about Violet, I wouldn't, you know, he said it's William P. Wallingford. Just like, don't forget it. He didn't say that, but that was his, you know, his stance, you know, and it's uh, Platte County, Missouri. That was a great oral history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it 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 really was. It really was. You know, um, and and um, the Mormon Temple. I I don't really know if it's. Uh, I I don't know what's happening right now because of COVID, but you know their family history center is great for someone who may not know how to research or just starting out. All you should do is just go to if it's open. You know. Um, Go to the Family History Center and give them, you know, a name and a and some dates, and they will help you. They're they're quite. Uh, we have one in Oakland. It's, you know, it's quite help. They're quite helpful. Right. 
you know. So he's actually had quite the journey from Virginia to Kentucky to Kansas and Missouri, then to yeah. Colorado, and then to California. California. Yeah, he really did. Like, he really that is, did. That is an epic journey. Yes, he really did. Oh, I wish, how I wish I could talk to him, you know, I just, but I was a child, but like you said, he left me a treasure trove of papers that I, I keep going back to that, you know, pretty much explain a lot of things. And that, and that term that he used, you have to, um, uh, how did you, <laughs> you remember it better than me, don't you? Uh, we have to endure what you cannot cure. You have to endure. Is that what? Yeah, um, that's what he said. That's what he said after he had, he got lost his leg in a train you know, and he, yeah, did, I like that. and he did live by it. He had a prosthetic leg, 1910. You can imagine what, I mean, I remember his prosthetic leg sitting by his bed before he'd get up, you know, but, um, and he would go to work. He would walk to the courthouse every day. He could walk from West Oakland to the courthouse. And he worked every day. And then he came home at night and he wrote. Wow. So do you think his writing was um, healing for him? I think it was. I think so. Yes. And, 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 and um, that's, that's kind of, you know, when the, we're members of our group is coming to the table. Some of us are writers. And in the book you have Slavery's Descendants, it's 25 writers and we talk about you know and it's healing it's healing for us i mean um and we talk about our family history if a person reads that book slavery's descendants you you learn a lot about american history someone there is related to thomas jefferson on both sides of the family we're and actually gonna, those are the ones we're going to be talking to yeah it goes yeah, that's oh, that's, okay yeah and so um we're just really you know descendants who are trying to heal and hope to heal what's happening now as much as we can in our country bring it together you know well this we're is not mad, we're, not, we're not mad at you know i'm not mad at the wallingfords because they're you know, predecessor, all my family as slaves. I just, I just want to talk about it. So, you know, and heal from it and get mm -hmm. over it so mm -hmm. we can move forward. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you see a lot of anger right now on both sides. Um, and it doesn't really have to be that way if we could just no. all come to the table and talk about it. Yeah, I would say I'm probably more frustrated than angry, even though my frustration may come across as being angry, only because I'm just so exhausted that it's 2020, it's coming up yeah. to 2021, and we're having conversations that my two, three, four, five, and six times great grandparents would turn around and look at me and go, are you guys still having that conversation? Yeah. As, a, as a country, as a country, are you still? Okay, well, I mean, but look at it like this, Brian. The problem is, is that because that would technically the, the conversation has never been completed. Exactly. It's always that. That's that's you. 
That's the problem. The, the conversation has always been looked over. It's never been completed. It's always been pushed to the side. It's always been something else has always made it a little bit more, has always made been more important than that. Then, you know, just like when I did my book with, with um, when I did my book and we had that guy who came in and said, why are you writing this? You were never a slave. Why are you writing this? And that's why I asked them, well, don't you talk about your grandparents? Yes. And you share this information with your children. Am I correct? Yes, I do. And you share your, your great grandparents information with your children, right? Yes, I do. Well, I'm sharing mine. Exactly. He couldn't say anything else after that. There's absolutely nothing more that can be said. Mine just happened to have been a slave. Her her history was just different from yours, but it still was her history. Don't tell me to not share my grandmother's history. That's oh, all I'm okay. asking. Yeah, exactly. You know, and until they get to the point where you don't have to push back on me sharing that information, that's when that healing will be able to give in and they'll be able to accept it. But they're not even ready to accept it yet because that portion of history has been hidden. And now we have this whole new generation of people who are doing this research and both on both sides, they don't want to know it at all. And they have to know it if you want to find everything. It's like that comment to the, the show that we're doing with Hamad and our, and our Settles cousin. Someone shared that event on his timeline. And I couldn't read all of what he said because he put limitations on how it, was, how it was being shared and who could see it. But I could clearly see, I don't want to have anything to do with slaveholders. And I don't know what else he said after that point. And again, this is an African-American researcher. And you know, Donnie and I always say this over and over and over again. If you are a Black researcher and your family was enslaved, you're going to have, whether you want to or not. You whether you want to, to or not. That's because right. that family is the family that's going to hold the information that's going oh, to yeah. choices. Either you let your ancestor be an end of wall, brick wall ancestor because you can't deal with it. Or you're going to have to, con you know, you're going to have to look through those records, and you may have to reach out to that family to say, "I can't find so and so's will. I know it's a long shot. Do you know of anyone in your family who has that person's probate records?" Exactly. That, and that goes great with this particular question that's in here. Cheryl Fabio says, "Why do we want to be a part of the daughters of the American Revolution? What's the impact? That's the impact, right and there. What you just said." And it also gives recognition to the black and mulatto men who served and the women who supported the revolution however they could, whether it was giving the, the Continental Army a couple of pigs and a cow. What, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Because guess who did that? Somebody in my family, you know, my great great grandmother, my great great grandmother, Martha Brooks, was a, was a worker for Zach Zachariah Brooks, who did whatever she told him to be told her to do. Right. And, he, right. and he worked in, he was in the American Revolution. So yes, I should be able to join it. You know, the, I should, why can't she be recognized for something like that? Why, why can't that happen for somebody, or not her, but you know, her mother? You know, because her That's mom, was, you know, those things, it, it's, I, you know, 
<laughs> okay, she's listening. Uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I have to. Um, Cheryl, Cheryl to cut a very long answer short because we were there. <laughs> However, we were there, we were there, and we want our we were there. And exactly. we want our, our Revolutionary War Black and Mulatto ancestors recognized. Yeah, yeah. we were there yeah. too. Why they can be recognized? Why can't we? <laughs> we were there too. <laughs> we, we we want to give a voice to our ancestors. We you know, um, I I just I want their voice to be heard, and if I feel joining the DAR, which I haven't yet, I've looked at it, but I haven't, you know, if I feel that would help in some way That's right. respect to my ancestors, you know, if I have the time to do it and I feel it's worthwhile, then I will. If it would help, you know, if it would somehow help Violet and her mother, Jemima, who was born in 1796, I mean, I can just keep going, you know, right. um, and so, um, Right. Yeah, that actually brings us to the top of the hour. Yes, oh, it does. Thank you so much for um for joining us and for talking about your work and your experience. Thank you for having me. I've I've enjoyed this. Thank you. And we you gotta let us know when the play is gonna happen, when you yeah. release oh, it. Oh I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> so next week we're gonna be joined by Yoruba Richin. Uh, and we're going to talk about the Negro Motorist's Green Book. Oh, wow. Yeah, we are. Oh, but before oh, that, we actually have a special that we're going to be doing. Um, and it's going to be on a Saturday. So it's not going to be through the WLVS station. But we will be um, giving our own little special. So you guys, what's the title again? Um, Does Intolerance... Does intolerance have a have a place in genealogy with a subtitle? Should I is genealogy right for me? Right. Okay. So yes, that's going to be that Saturday at four, and then Sunday we'll be doing the Negro Motorist. So mm -hmm. we have some great shows coming up for you guys oh. next week. So whether we okay. see you Saturday or we see you Sunday or see you on both days, we will see you next week. And yes. you're gonna post it. You'll be posting it on your page on Facebook, correct? Is yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. We okay. already have the link up and everything, so um, I'll okay. send it to you. Okay, that's great. And I po I post it on my Facebook page. That's great. Oh, thank you. Okay. 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 Thank you. Bye, thank everybody. You. Bye, everyone.